and welcome to episode 16 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to figure out what pizza toppings everyone wants. Okay, so that's two veggie, three meat lovers, and hey, wait, come on, who asked for pineapple with anchovies? Get out your streamers, noisemakers, and punch bowls, because this week's theme is party games. We'll be discussing games we've played recently, like Paris Connection, Istanbul, and Deception Murder in Hong Kong. We have a discussion about incorporating board games into a party, as well as some great party games. And last but not least, we dive into the etymology of the word party. And now, here are your hosts. Ambi, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. A few weeks ago, I got to go to BGGCon, which is a board game convention in Dallas, Texas, and it has the biggest library ever. And so I got to play a bunch of games. I played, I think, 53 different games. Um, but that's including, That is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's including a bunch of dexterity games they had in the middle area. Um, so I'm not going to talk about all the games, obviously. That would take too Wait, long. Wait, really? Hold on. I want to hear about all 53 of them. Come on. Let's, yeah. <laughs> I list them off. Well, this that. is Board Game Blitz Unleashed, now a four-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was really fun, and I really want to go next year. And If you're listening to this and like playing new games and a bunch of different games, you should try going to BGGCon. Anyway, one of the games that I played that was really fun was Paris Connection. So I got to play this with Rodney Smith from Watch It Played and Marty from Rolling Dice and Taking Names. And they both really liked it and we played it twice in a row, which was fun. So Paris Connection is a 2010 game made by Winsome Games and it was republished by Queen Games. So it's available to buy now, which is rare for a train game. But it's a quick 10 to 20 minute game. It has really easy rules, but deep strategy. So the rules are you can either build track for a train on your turn or trade in stock for a different train stock. There's six different colors of trains and the pieces for the stock are the same as the pieces for the track. So if you take a lot of stock in a train, you can't build as much track. And the way for the stock to be worth more is to have like better track. So there's a trade-off there. And also you see what stock other people are taking. So you can try to make their track really bad so that their stock isn't worth as much. So there's a bunch of decisions to make, even though it's a really short game and it's really easy to learn. And so far, everyone we've played it with has really enjoyed it. We've played it with like five different people. Yeah, so that was Paris Connection. That actually sounds really fun, just based on your quick little description. I think that's something that I would probably really enjoy. I like how short it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, the main problem is the setup takes a while. Because you're putting out all the different pieces of the trains. So there's six different colors of cubes or of oh. little trains. That, so, uh, that does get annoying sometimes. Like if a game's really short, but the setup time is like half of the gameplay time. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. like frustrating, I think. But yeah. I don't know. Some games like Kingdom Builder takes me a long time to set up on a table usually, but I always enjoy it anyway. So yeah. And the setup isn't too bad when there's everyone's helping. Because the setup, oh, really, definitely. You, you just have to separate the colors and put them out. It's three to six players, so there's going to be at least three players setting it up. There you go. All right. That's a train game I can get behind. (laughs) (laughs) Choo-choo! Recently, I played a game of Istanbul. This will be the second time I've played, and I remember the first time I just fell in love with this game, so I was like, I have to play this again. So uh, somebody brought it to our regular game night, and I got to play it again. I said, you will wait. You will wait for me to be done with this other game so that I can play Istanbul. (laughs) 
and they did and that was nice in Istanbul, you have one merchant and four assistants. The merchant is um, taking her assistants through the 16 locations of the bazaar. Each location has a specific action to take. So the merchant is leaving an assistant to complete whatever transaction as the merchant like moves on with her other assistants. So the merchant moves only one or two spaces at a time, and you can go back and pick up an assistant at any time, but still with only one or two moves. So like... You can drop off an assistant, move two spaces, do something else, and go back and pick up the other one if you wanted to. There's a location that actually lets you collect all of your assistants back at, in one go, which is nice. You want your merchants to be the first. You want your merchants to be the first to collect five rubies. It's six rubies in a two-player game. So the first person to collect five rubies triggers end game, and then everybody else finishes their turn, and then game over. So, along with the 16 location bazaar, you have a player card also, which is where you're gathering and collecting goods and your rubies and your money. So, some of the locations let you max out a good. So, you can max out your uh, imported fruits, (laughs) or you can max out on your spices. And then other locations let you sell those goods for money. And there are some locations where you can use that money to get rubies and so on and so forth. So there's a lot that you can do and a lot of different ways to get your rubies. Oh, and the bazaar is randomly set up. So the fountain, which is where you gather all of your assistance back, is always in the middle. But every other location is random, which is kind of nice and adds a little uh, variation for replay value and stuff. Anyway, I really like it. It's on my wish list. I hope somebody gets it for me for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I've played Istanbul a couple of times now, and I noticed in the, so they, in the base game, they kind of suggest a setup for the layout of the bazaar. Yeah, there's a suggested layout for, like, beginning, for beginner players and stuff. Did you, did you notice, like, for me at least, it seemed like that opening layout was kind of broken in a way, and now I can't remember the exact details, but, like, the tile that lets you pay I think I think you just pay money directly for rubies and it gets more and more Mm -hmm. expensive as you go that tile I remember being really close to another tile where it's super easy to get money I don't remember if it was like the casino or something else but like you could game it and you could go back and forth between the two after you know the first couple of rounds and just win that way yeah so there's the tile where you can roll the two dice and you call out a number and then oh, if you yeah, yeah, call yeah. that number or you roll higher, then you get that number. So if you call a seven, the probability of rolling a seven is highest because two-sided dice, Catan taught everybody that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you call a seven and you roll a 10, you're going to get seven coins. Now, the thing is with the, the money spot for rubies, where you pay money for rubies, the cheapest, I think it starts at like 15 coins. And you don't start with coins in the game. I feel like it started cheaper than that, but I don't remember. And you've played it more recently. It could be 12, but I know it's not less than 10. It wasn't a small amount, but whatever it was, it was still like pretty. It seemed fairly easy to just kind of go back and forth between these two, those two spots. Like even if it took you a couple turns to get the money required. And so I think when we played it, we really liked it. But we were like, we don't want to use this layout again because it seemed a little easier to game than like a more random layout. Yeah, I would definitely prefer a more... Uh, randomized layout. Now, I don't remember if the four corner spots, I can't remember if those actually have to be the same in every game or not. Because I think it's the fountain and then the four corners are set and then everything else is randomized. That sounds about right. 
Um, have you played any of the expansions? No, just the base. Okay. I've been interested in checking out the expansions, but I haven't gotten a chance to. Anyway, yeah, Istanbul is pretty awesome. I'm sad it kind of took me a couple years to figure that out. Well, I'm also a couple years behind. In my uh, game that I just got to check out recently, my friends brought out Deception Murder in Hong Kong, which is a social deduction game that was published in 2014 by Gray Fox Games. And it is for four to 12 players um, with a playtime of around 20 to 30 minutes. In Deception, Murder in Hong Kong, players take on the roles of investigators trying to solve a murder case. Only one of the investigators is secretly the murderer, and one player is publicly the forensic scientist. And the forensic scientist gets to know who the murderer is, the weapon the murderer used, and the evidence that was left behind. But they can only convey information to the rest of the table through these vague clues on little boards in front of them. Like, and some of them are kind of random, but all of the players have eight cards in front of them, four murder weapons, and four pieces of potential evidence. And so at the beginning of the game, the murderer will secretly select one weapon in front of them and one piece of evidence in front of them. And... The, the two piece, the things they pick have to be cards in front of themselves. So for the entire game, you always know that the murder weapon and the piece of evidence are in one of the player's groups of cards completely. Like it's not a weapon from one player and a piece of evidence from another. So you, you have little sets that you can go off of. And the forensic scientist is giving you clues like the time of day that the murder was committed, the extent of the injuries of the person who was killed, stuff like that, like their build, their age. And some of those clues might help you and some of them might not. So it's interesting because as the forensic scientist, you have to kind of lead people in the right direction. But if they're going in the wrong direction, you can't say anything to help. Um, And there are the number of boards that have those clues on them. There's a whole bunch of different ones and you get to bring out new, a new one each round. Um, We only played with five players, so we didn't get to play with the extra roles, but there's also uh, roles for a witness and an accomplice that if you play with more players, the accomplice gets to know who the murderer is and only wins if the murderer isn't found. So they can help secretly try and like, you know, direct people away from the murderer And the witness gets to see the murderer and the accomplice leaving the scene, but they don't know which one's which, and they don't know what the weapons or evidence used was. So they will know between two different players' groups of cards that something in there is the right answer. But if the murderer is found and the murderer can point out who the witness is, then the murderer and the accomplice win because they murder the witness. So it's um, similar to... uh, Resistance Avalon. Yes, Resistance <laughs> Avalon. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's so obvious. It's similar to that. Like, you have information, but if you're too obvious about it, then you'll get caught. This game is so simple. It's like, if you liked Clue as a kid, but hated that you were rolling one every time and could not move anywhere <laughs> on that silly board, because that's the absolute worst in Clue, this is like a grown-up version of Clue. Like, And I used to say that about Mysterium, But I think this actually fits that description better. And I like Mysterium and this aren't that similar. They kind of are, I guess. But I like this way better than Mysterium. And I was super excited to play it. I really want to play it at the higher player counts with the additional roles. But like I was the forensic scientist and like one of the clues I um, had in front of me that I could give them was the build, like the physical stature of the victim. So the victim was killed with a cleaver 
And the piece of evidence left at the scene was an iron, like a clothing iron. <laughs> and I was like, this is ridiculous. And so then I was like, okay. I was like, his build, I think my options were, you know, like skinny, large, tall, short, stuff like that. And I was like, what do I pick? And so I was like, well, I guess if he was chopped with a cleaver, maybe he's short. So like I picked short. And of course they're reading so far into it with pointing all this other stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm the worst forensic scientist ever. But they, my, the scientist or the investigators did not successfully catch the murderer. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun in that game. And I want to play it more soon. I actually probably will add this one to my collection in the near future. Maybe I'll add it to my, uh, my Christmas list since <laughs> that's coming up pretty soon. Uh, looks like suggested retail is $40, but it looks like it's available on Amazon for $27. Uh, it is definitely worth that price. It is a ton of fun. It's simple to learn, simple to play. And unlike most social deduction games, you like people who aren't great at social deduction games could still play this because there you don't have to like make up elaborate lies mm-hmm. and elaborate stories or anything. All you have to do is just try and figure out how the clues that are being given fit with somebody else's stuff instead of your own and just kind of, you know, put the, put the pressure away from yourself a little bit gently. So it's fun. I like it. I recommend it. Deception, murder in Hong Kong. Yeah. I really love deception, murder in Hong Kong. I always describe it as a mix between resistance, Avalon and Mysterium and code names because there's the words and then there's a person trying to point to the clues with the words and there's a traitor. Yeah. It's I, super fun. Maybe we can um, get a big group of the three of us and some other people together at MeepleCon to play this. We keep doing this every week. We're like, we'll play it at MeepleCon. We're going to have a list of like 53 games that we will have to play at MeepleCon. And MeepleCon's not as long as BGGCon. So I don't think the 53 number. We just, we just won't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like all games all the time. <laughs> Since this week's theme is party games, we wanted to talk about some games that are great at parties. Either party style games or games that you could bring to a party. And since this is the holiday season, we know a bunch of you are going to be heading to some of those work Christmas parties or work holiday parties or New Year's Eve parties. There's a lot of parties coming up this month. So hopefully some of these recommendations will do you well if you decide to pick them up and take them with you. So there's a new party game I got to try out at BGGCon called Insider. It's by Oink Games. It comes in a really small box, and it's basically a mix between Spyfall and 20 Questions. So Spyfall, I don't like, but Insider, I really like. So basically, there's one person who knows a thing that that everyone else is trying to figure out, and they're asking that person questions like in 20 Questions, like, is it a person... Is it a thing? And then that person can answer yes or no. But there's one of the people who's asking the questions who knows what the thing is as well. And so if you don't get the question, everyone loses. So the, the insider person is trying to get everyone to get to the right question as well without giving away that they know the answer already. So oh. I think it's really cool. So they, they, they know exactly what questions to yeah. ask, but if they ask <laughs> questions that are too good, they'll give themselves away. <laughs> Yeah, so, so it's really hilarious when someone get asks like a really good question with like specific words that you would never think of. It's like what? <laughs> but yeah, so like we had yeah, a lot of fun with that. That would be like so if the thing was like Barney, if the the person was like, "Is it a large purple dinosaur?" <laughs> then probably yeah, like, the is insider. it purple? <laughs> like, is yeah, it right. Purple? <laughs> is it a beloved slash hated children's character? <laughs> 
but does he even exist anymore? Is Barney still like relevant? Oh man, we're old. Probably not. <laughs> He's probably not a thing. Oh, you know what is actually a cool game for a party that I just played for the first time this week. Uh, it's an older game and it's sometimes hard to find, um, but it's called Bezerwizer, <laughs> which is the funniest name for a game ever. It's a trivia game. And the version that my friend had was published in 2008 and trivia games tend to not age that well. And this one definitely had some of those issues with some of the questions. But the reason, the reason that our discussion reminded me of it is because we were talking about Barney and there was something we were talking about Teletubbies. When we were playing Bezzer Wizard. So that's what reminded me. Uh, but like in... Bezzer Wizard is a trivia game. It's got a board that you have to go around, but you get to like draw tiles out of a bag that are from for different categories. And you put the tiles on your board in order of how much you like them. And you get different levels of points based on where you put them on your board. And then people can also swap tiles and you can also steal other people's questions when they're answered. So it's a little different than most trivia games. And it was a lot of fun. I really liked it. Um, as trivia games go, it's definitely board game wise, one of my favorites, I'd say. Um, it's pretty cool. But again, does show its age a little bit since it's a little older. I was just looking at my shelf and we, I think Zombie Dice is actually a really great party game. It's small. It's easy to carry around. So if I was taking it somewhere, I wouldn't have to worry about losing anything really, except for maybe a dice or whatever. But it's a great little party game because it's it's easy the easiest thing in the world to teach. Throw some dice, get some points. Don't get any points. Throw some more dice, and then game over. And you can just sit there and play it over and over and over again until somebody gets bored with chucking dice. Well, yeah, it's it's just pure push your luck. And what's cool about zombie dice is, well, I don't know what the player count is on the little like jar that the dice comes in, but technically you could play that with literally any number of players. Now, obviously, it gets a little tedious, I'm sure, if you're sitting there <laughs> waiting for 15 other people to take their turn, but you could do that if you wanted to. Right. Another game that's pretty easy to learn slash teach would be uh, Skull. And that one's also got a very small footprint it's basically a bunch of coasters. <laughs> so in Skull, everyone has a little pile of coasters in front of them. And some of them have roses or flowers on them. And some of them have, a or one of them has a skull. And you flip over other people's tiles from their stacks in front of them. And you're, again, it's another push your luck game where you're trying to only flip over flowers and not a skull. So you have to kind of gauge where you think your friend put their skull tile in their, or coaster in their stack. I don't know if I should call them coasters. I don't know what else to call them. <laughs> but they look like coasters. It's fun, quick, easy to teach, easy to play. Definitely small footprint. There's not a lot of pieces to it, too. So that's good if you don't have like a ton of table space, I guess. Well, and the cool thing about Skull is if you know the game, but you don't have the coasters with you, you can make it out of other random coasters or a deck of cards or just about anything you wanted. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I talked about a game not too long ago on one of our episodes that I think is also decent for parties. Also an oink game, just like Insider. Uh, this one's A Fake Artist Goes to New York. And that's a fun little drawing game where you don't have to draw well because you're only drawing pieces of a drawing and someone doesn't know what everybody else is trying to draw and has to fake their way through it. It's pretty fun. I discussed it in an earlier episode if you want to hear more about that one. But again, super small box. High player count, quick to play, great for a party. Yeah, other games that are 
good like player count, scaling, and easy to learn are a lot of children's games and dexterity games are good. So one game that I played at a party was Click Clack Lumberjack. Oh so gosh! At my <laughs> housewarming party, we played this, and people were having a lot of fun. So in Click Clack Lumberjack, you're setting up this tree, and you just hit it with an axe and try to knock off the bark pieces and not the trunk. So when you're setting it up, everyone's like, "Whoa, that looks really cool! What is it?" And the rules are really simple. You're like, oh, just hit it. And, <laughs> and so, like, people were playing it, like, I don't know, 10 times in a row or something. <laughs> I imagine that if someone had uh, had a few beverages at a party, <laughs> that a dexterity game like that might be pretty fun. I mean, it would be fun otherwise also, but it would be fun to watch someone <laughs> that had a few beverages play it. <laughs> yes. That or like animal upon animal, where they're like trying to stick the animals on top of the other ones, like. <laughs> a game that I don't know. This probably isn't considered a party game, but at least it's got a large player count. So let's say you're at a party with a lot of people who are already familiar with board games, or people who really like board games. You could possibly bring out Captain Sonar. I've figured out a way to shoehorn that one in again because I know that we like that game. <laughs> And Captain Sonar plays up to eight people. And actually, it is at its best at eight people, at least in my opinion. So if you've got a large group of people, it's, it is, I don't know, it's kind of hard to teach. It's definitely not as quick to get into as some of the other games we've mentioned. But it's so much fun that it's <laughs> worth learning it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you have, like, non-gamer people playing... You could just, if there's only two of them, they're the engineers. That's the easiest, that's the easiest thing to teach, I think. They don't need to know really anything else about anybody else's roles. Just know that when I say this, you got to X something off. And this is what happens when you X it off. That's true. I guess the game really, if you're, especially if you're only learning one role, it's not that bad if for the, especially the easier roles. Like the navigator is a little tough and the captain has a lot to keep track of. But the first mate and the engineer aren't too bad. Yeah. But since there are so many roles, like the total learning time, you're going to have to teach each person their role. So it'll take a while to get started. And so I I don't think it would be one to bring to like an office party or like a party with a lot of non-board gamers because they won't be used to that. And they want something like they will want something quicker, probably. That's a really good point. That one, this one, I think is probably good at like a board game specific party like Mm -hmm. if you're hosting a party for people to come play board games obviously they're coming with the intention to learn new games so that one's great because of the large player count but yeah for a more casual party probably not a good choice yeah Mm -hmm. it's kind of similarly would be like social deduction games those are sometimes hard to bring out in a more like casual setting but they're also fun with large groups of people we've discussed a few of them i think on the podcast before or maybe not. I don't know. We've at least mentioned a few of them. Like, I know, uh, Ambie, you're a fan of the Resistance, mm-hmm. Avalon. Yeah, one of my favorites. And Cassidy, if I remember correctly, you are a fan of Secret Hitler. <laughs> which... I will play Secret Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You'll play Secret Hitler. And I, uh, Of all I, the social I... deduction games I've played, it's the one I dislike the least. <laughs> okay. High praise. You honestly... You should you should t- seriously check out Deception Murder in Hong Kong. I yeah. honestly think that it might be more, more your style than some of the others. I'm a big fan of One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I've brought that out with like hardcore board gamers and my more casual gaming friends. 
And assuming that you don't put in too many crazy rolls, you can introduce that one to just about anybody. Two rooms and a boom is good if you've got a very large group of people that are all wanting to play a game together for some crazy reason. Like, hey, you 30 people, let's do this right now. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. I, I think I heard online about somebody doing... It was something like 50 or 60 people, something ridiculous. And they, I, I was like, how did that go? And they were like, yeah, no, we're not doing that many people again. It was too much. But what's cool is the game can accommodate those crazy large groups. So I guess that actually might not be a bad, like, if you wanted to try and shoehorn a game into, like, something work-related, like, you could maybe play off two rooms in a boom as a team-building activity. That would actually be pretty cool, and that accommodates more people than most games. But is it really team building (laughs) anytime you have to work with people work considers it a team building game i think i'm trying to get my team to play pandemic that's a great team building game (laughs) eradicating diseases together hooray (laughs) so those are some of the party games that we like of course the definition of party game you know is pretty wide and out there so what we consider to be a good party game might not be what you like so if you have some party games that you really love or you would want to suggest please feel free to stop by our board game geek guild and post in the thread about this episode which party games you would recommend people check out this holiday season For this week's etymology segment, we're keeping with the theme and looking at the origins of the word party in its noun form. The modern word party is used to describe a bunch of things, including a political group, a group of people on one side of a contract or legal dispute, and a discrete group of military troops. But obviously, when we talk about party games, we're speaking about a party as in a social gathering for fun and entertainment. The Middle English word party comes from the old French word party, spelled with an I at the end instead of a Y which means parted, and that word comes from the Latin word partitus with the same definition. Partitus was the past participle of the Latin word partiri, which meant to divide. So now you can share some new knowledge at the next social gathering that you attend. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to give a little shout out to... Uh, A guy here in Las Vegas named Albert, he is actually running a Kickstarter right now for a new board game cafe that will be opening in Las Vegas in February called Tables Board Game Spot. And I'm really excited. It'll be the second board game cafe in Las Vegas. And so I would highly appreciate it if people would head over to the Kickstarter. We'll put a link in the description in the show notes. Um, head over there and support it if you can. If you aren't local to Las Vegas, there is a tier, a pledge tier for out-of-towners where you actually get some pretty cool perks, including like a really nice game bag. So that's Tables Board Game Spot Kickst- on Kickstarter. Please feel, please support it so I have more places that are fun to play at <laughs> in Las Vegas. <laughs> And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Have suggestions for the show or just want to say hi? Shoot us an email at boardgameblitz at gmail.com. Until next time, I got my score up to play in my game. You know I'm going to win today. We are blitzing in the USA. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. 
taking her assistants through the 16 locations in the bazaar. 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 Words. <laughs> I'm going to say it wrong. I already saw Crystal's face. <laughs> Is it bizarre? Bizarre. <laughs> bizarre. I think it's fine. I just it's just bizarre. funny because it's it sounds like bizarre. Like bizarre, bizarre. I feel like I have to look it up now because I don't know. Bizarre. I think it's bizarre. just bizarre. I think you said it right. I, if I was laughing at your doubting of yourself, that was more <laughs> amusing than anything I else. Know. I gotta go look it up. <laughs> bizarre. Bizarre. It's B E. Bizarre. 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 Wait, so that's right. Let's just keep saying it over and over and over until it sounds really bizarre. I feel like the I feel like the teacher from Ferris Bueller. Bizarre. 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 Yeah, etymology. How do you guys think this would be pronounced? It's Latin. Uh, it's P A R T I T U S. I could actually put it in the party test. Yeah. Like. I think it would probably be partitus or partitus. I'm not sure. I don't know. I wonder if I can. Not at all. You're our best bet. I found it in the Wiktionary. Yeah, it says partitus. 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 Wait, is that what I said? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was kidding. Okay. <laughs> You're a genius. You're like JK. I really knew what I was talking about. 